are here at our office, the new at the new uh, Bronx Incubator. We are here with Hearts to Homes Furnishings, an organization that seeks to furnish the first apartments of individuals who have aged out of foster care. Yes, yeah, so welcome everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Um, can we each go one by one and indicate how we're related to the organization and, and our names and how long you've been doing this kind of work? And if you live in the Bronx or not. <laughs> sure, I can start because I am a Bronx girl. Yes. Um, I live in the Bronx. I work in the Bronx. So my name is Fortunata DeMarco. I am an administrative director at Cardinal McCluskey. I've been with the agency for 18 years. Um, always in the Bronx location. And um, I'm here to talk about the wonderful work that Hearts to Home has done for us. Hi, my name is Shantia Aikens, and I'm here to talk about the Hearts to Homes because I've been in foster care since I was a toddler until I was 21, until I aged out. So they helped me basically to buy my household needs for my for myself and for my two kids that I grew up in foster care too also. They, was, they grew up with me. So I'm here to help others and show them that we, we have support. Well, thank you for sharing your story today. Hi, I'm Mary Teresa McCollum. I was born in the Bronx, but I live in Yonkers now, and that is where Hearts to Homes is, um, is situated. I it was Hearts to Homes was my idea two years ago when I was talking to people at Cardinal McCluskey Community Services, and so I run all the day to day operations of Hearts to Homes now. Great, and I mean once you're born in the Bronx, we always keep you. So yes. you're one of ours. <laughs> And yourself? My name is Monette Bird. I'm actually the housing specialist at Colonel McCluskey. I've been there for eight years, and I was born in the Bronx. Oh, you were? So you're McCluskey. And pretty much my job title is I usually help the children um, apply for housing once they turn 18 years old. Once they get an apartment, I'm the girl who helps them move in. That's great. And, you know, um, I was born and raised here in the Bronx. And uh, my family is very lucky that we didn't move much, but once I went into school, um, I had to move a lot for school. And moving is considered one of the most stressful experiences for people because you have to completely change your daily routine, may have to change jobs, um, especially in New York City where housing is so limited. So tell me a little bit about how Cardinal McCleskey is working with Hearts to Homes to help individuals find housing and then furnish it. Sure. I can um, start. So um, years ago, I can say that um, when our youth were aging out, um, we didn't have the funds to provide everything that our youth needed. Um, we really needed more resources. And over the years, it's really come a long way with the help of Mary Teresa. Our youth, and, and Shantia can tell you all that they get, our youth have really had the opportunity to receive various items for their apartments. There's a wish list, and you can talk about the wish list a little bit. They get to pick what they want. It's not just, here, I have a donation for you. You know, you might need a vacuum. No, there is a wish list. They're able to really personalize what it is that they want for their apartments. This is something, you know, being with the agency for 18 years, we didn't have. We didn't have those luxuries. We really, you know, I might bring a toaster from home and say, you know, this youth needs something for the apartment. So we really were dependent on just whatever we could get for them. So it's really come a long way. Um, and I think it's a wonderful experience and you can really talk to that. I appreciate that for the home to help. To help because, for example, like she said before, they didn't have anything. 
If they, at that time, I would have been struggling, because, for example, I have two children of my own that I have to buy pampers, clothes, wipes, like, emergency stuff that you need. So, for them to help me, I really saved and, like, saved money for whatever I really needed when I didn't need. Like, I didn't have to buy no bed, mattress. They bought a mattress for me and my my kids. They got me my pots, my sheets, any bathroom house, every household stuff that you need, basically. They got everything for me. I didn't have to buy anything. The only thing I had to buy was for my kid. And then I had money left over that I've been saving for the rest of the month so I could have just in case. Mm-hmm. And was that, um, and how, how did that step up feel? You know, you're, you're finally aging out of foster care and you're going to start living was, life on your own. It was scary at first, but I, I moved in. They helped me. They showed me, like, what I had to do to be on my own. They have, like, weekend trips at the Cardinal Kluski, too. So they have the weekend trips with Sister Marie. She takes you out far, like, upstate, and it's nice. Like, the kids stay, they help do chores. Like, basic stuff that you do in your home, they help you. So when you move on your own, you basically know, like, what to do already because you've been getting help from the agency. Exactly, and, you know, those are skills that even those of us that aren't in foster care may not have. You know, mm-hmm. that first house on your own, like... You know, you always call and say, well, how do I boil pasta? How do I, <laughs> how do I pay the light bill? They helped, they helped you cook. If they had, like, different meals, the kids would come and help the staffs cook, clean. They even do arts and crafts, take out a walk in, like, the woods and stuff. Like, it, it was really nice. And I think that, yes, we were able to offer the Preparing Youth for Adulthood. That's the name of the program, PYA. Um, offer the weekend trips, do all of those things, but there was still a gap because whatever resources the youth received when they aged out, they had to purchase all their stuff and they didn't have that extra money. Like it didn't reach. Yeah. Right. So for them to come and help, mm-hmm. that made us feel like we like we have somebody, we have faith to believe in somebody that we're not on our, on our own, struggling to see like what do we, need, how I'm gonna get this, how I'm gonna get this. You know, it's good to always talk and to express, like, how you feel and stuff. Because people out here in this world really care about you. And they will really go out, out their way to help you in any way they can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we'll talk more about the program in a second. But, Shantia, tell me about that first night in your, in your home. Like, knowing, I mean, sleeping on the bed that was mm-hmm. donating. Knowing that you have pots to cook breakfast in the morning. What did that feel like for you? That felt like... I felt like an awesome mother for my children. Like, when I actually had my kids their own room, they finally got their own room. So they didn't really have to sleep with me. So when they finally slept by themselves, I felt happy, you know? They had their own room. They could put it however they want. I could wake up in the morning and be like, what do you want out the refrigerator? I could cook some breakfast for them. They could eat, watch TV. They bought me TV. Got me a TV, you know? Um... My kids, everything, they bought them toys, too. Like, when we moved in, my kids also had things for them to play with and to use. So it was, I felt happy. I was really happy. My kids were happy. And my family were happy, too, because my family couldn't help me in no way possible. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Mary, tell me how you, you said you started two years ago. Like, how? How how did you do all of this? Thank you. <laughs> so, so, the way that it really happened, so I, I'm the mother of three sons, and my oldest son had been in a terrible bicycle accident, broken his clavicle, wow. and had to have surgery to put it back together. And it was this big traumatic thing, and at the same time, he had to move for work. My husband and I 
had to help him move into his apartment. I had forgotten what it was like to move into a first apartment and start from having nothing. Um, so we went through that whole process with him, and I thought, wow, I'm really too old for this. But, um, <laughs> but it, and it worked out, and he's fine. My husband is on the board of Cardinal McCluskey, and so in particular, foster care is important to us because I have a nephew who was in foster care at one point. And so I started to speak to the executive director about the needs of kids in foster care. And she said to me that there are some educational needs that they have, and that would be um, maybe to have the tools to go to culinary school. Like you can go to culinary school and the, and the uh, young adult can get um, educational assistance, financial assistance to go, but they need to show up with a $600 set of knives. knives. Yes. And they don't have that. So my husband and I decided that that's what we would do. We would help with these shortfalls so that the kids could continue their education while they're in foster care. We were helping a young man who was in college and he, in March, you know, February, March of 2016, he was getting ready to, for his last semester. And I said, so what happens after he graduates? And they said, well, you know, he ages out and there's a, a stipend that they get when they age out. It's about $1,800. And usually with that, they can buy a bed and a dresser and then that's it. They're, you know... Congratulations, you've aged out, good luck. And I thought, holy cow, having seen what I went through with my son. And seeing the prices for everything. Exactly. <laughs> it's this, way more than 1800 mm -hmm. This poor young man is going to finish a four-year degree, which by itself, being in foster care and finishing a college degree, like 3% nationwide of foster kids graduate with a college degree. But now, he's going to have less in his apartment than he had in his dorm. This is crazy. So I just, I threw together a list based on what my son had needed, talked to another couple of mothers, people my age who had had kids go into dorms and kids go into first apartments. We put together a list that we call the wish list, and we gave that list to Cardinal McCluskey, and Cardinal McCluskey gave it to the young people, and they get to select what they want. And then we threw housewarming online using social media. I asked all of my friends to please help me fill this apartment, and it was done in a flash. And I went back to Cardinal McCluskey and said, do you have any more kids who need help? And yes. it was done in a flash. Yes. And then it was done. And people I didn't know, so friends of friends all using social media, everybody started contributing. And it became a thing where we could fill an apartment faster than McCluskey could find a kid in an apartment because of the huge housing crisis that exists in yeah, New York City. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely want to um, touch on that on how the housing crisis is affecting specifically um, individuals in foster care, individuals uh, aging out of foster care. But, um, yeah, I mean, Mary, I think it's such an easy proposal for people to jump on. Um, everyone has moved, most likely, and they know how stressful it is. And you're saying, here's someone who, you know, is aging out of foster care and they need our help. And here's how we can help. Um, and you're giving targeted, targeted help. Right. As opposed to like raising money, which is always important. You know, we so need money to but I think it's amazing because McCluskey and all the all the all these agencies, they help the kids. They give them job training. They give them like uh, independent yeah, skills, yeah. right? Financial um, training to understand so, finances and all these different things. And then we send them out into an apartment that is empty and we expect them to find a job and go to job and be presentable on the job, but they don't have an iron to press a shirt or an ironing board. Or the shower curtain 
on the shower. I mean, not even a shower curtain. So you're in the corner taking a shower before you go to work so you're not flooding your... I mean, something simple. These are the things that we take for granted every day. And I, I like to say these kids go off and they don't have a can opener to open a can of soup or a pot to cook it in or a bowl and a spoon to eat it with. Yeah. And if you don't... That is something so simple that so many people take for granted. And if these kids don't have it, and we can provide it, why wouldn't we provide it? We're the biggest, the best city in the world, <laughs> right? 8.6 million people. Why do we not have this already? Other cities have it. Why don't we have it? And now we do. And Shantia, tell me, like, what would moving into that first apartment have looked like for you and your children had Hearts to Homes not been there to help you? As soon as we moved into the apartment, there was nothing in there. It was empty. Where would my kids sleep? What would they eat? How would they use the bathroom and take a shower with? It would have, I would have been struggling. I would have probably gave up on myself, you know? I, there's different things that would have happened if I probably didn't get help, the help that I needed for myself and for my kids. I'm a single parent, so it's hard. Absolutely, and the help that I believe you deserve, you know? Um, it's our responsibility. Yeah, it's our responsibility as, as a community to take care of each other, I believe, and, and you know, if you're moving into an apartment, we shouldn't let you move into an empty apartment, like you said. That's, there's no quality of life there. Mm -hmm. Now, as bad as you think it might be moving into an empty apartment, and it is, it's very interesting to know that when the Hearts to Homes delivery happens, it can be very emotional for the young adult who's in the apartment. And, and that's yeah. definitely... That yes, so like, yeah. you, you can speak to it. She can talk about that. She's done quite a few of them. Yes. And you still get emotional. I do. I want to actually thank Mary because I was actually a, a kid who grew up in foster care and I aged out into my apartment. But we didn't have programs like this. So I aged out and I had to learn how to get everything on my own. I had family. They helped when they could. But mm -hmm. again, I struggled, like Shantia said to get the stuff that I needed. Well, when your family doesn't have to give, you know? Right. Um, but I think I took over the housing about three years ago. Um, my, and I think I moved in at least 10 kids so far, and we utilized the Hearts to Home program. Um, I think I'm more excited than the kids are when it's time <laughs> to move them in. I feel like I'm always asking the management office, you guys sure you don't have another apartment? Or, you know, I can house sick for you guys when... Same, same thing, you sure? So, but it's very rewarding, and it's good to see how happy the youth are receiving all the stuff. Yeah. I get... I like to help unpack and set things up, and I think I take over the apartment. Like, no, we're going to put that there, we're going to leave that there, and I'll be back to go home visit to make sure the apartment, so... I enjoy it, and I think the kids are very grateful. Oh, yeah. Every, all very everything grateful. is new. Mm -hmm. We right. treat these young adults like they're our friend, and we're throwing a housewarming for them. So although people contact us and say, I have some gently used items, I have a few things, it turns out in New York City, because of the cost of storage and the cost of hiring people to move things and all that, it's actually cheaper for us to provide brand new items because of relationships that we've developed with vendors. Yeah. So when we give a, a young adult a wish list, like Shantia got to tell us her favorite color mm -hmm. so we could pick out her comforter set in her favorite color. Yeah. Um, we have a relationship with Bob's Discount Furniture and they give us a gift certificate mm -hmm. for each young adult 
Um, and so on the wish list, the young adult has the name of the type of couch, and they have a, a choice of like six couches. If they want to go to a Bob's, they can go and sit on each of the couches, and they can go shopping. Like They can pick out what couch they want, what color they want, and this is not where we're giving something to somebody that they don't want. They make the choice of what they do want, and even within what they do want, they have choices of what style they want, what color they want. It's and tell me the importance, as someone who uh, was in foster care as a child and is now working in the system, um, tell me of the importance of agency and of choice in, 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 in all forms of decision-making for someone who's in this kind of program. I actually think I got into child care by accident because I always <laughs> wanted to be a nurse. Again, I struggled growing up and... I was, by, I was on welfare, and welfare sent me to a foster care agency to do an assignment, and I fell in love with it. I was at the agency for 10 years. It wow. closed, and I became a part of Quantum McCluskey's family, and I also was a foster parent for 10 years, so I don't know. I guess I just breathe, live, and... It's your calling. It obviously mm-hmm. is. And, you know, it's not easy work, you know, at all. I feel that the emotional investment that both of you make, and Mary as well, in, in, in doing programs like this is pretty heavy. Can you talk about when it's hard and exhausting and all of that? Yes. <laughs> um, so 18 years ago when I started, I started um, in, as one of the first clinicians in our clinical program. Um, we had a very small medical program, clinical program. We didn't have all the services you know we have now. We've really come a long way and grown with the services that we offer. And, um, you know, I, I, was, I said, I'm going to burn out. I'm only 24 years old and I'm going to burn out by the time I'm 25 because we never... I, Myself and the other clinician never really realized that we were making an impact. Even when those youth would slam the door in our face, we still made an impact. And like even till today, what keeps me going on in this field after all these years is that, you know, I have some of the youth I worked with 18 years ago who found me on Facebook and have said such powerful things like, I know I cursed you out, but you know what? I remember everything you used to say to me. (laughs) And it was all true. And you were completely right. (laughs) And, you know, I do appreciate everything, you know, you tried to do for me. Even though you might have felt like I didn't listen to you and I didn't hear you. So I've always worked with youth. You know, part of my work is in youth development. And, you know, this Hearts to Home program just really, like I said earlier, fills that gap um, for the youth. You know, we also have a youth drop-in center, which Shantia is familiar with, and you are too, I think. Yes, yeah, exactly. that's right. Yeah, the only homeless, uh, only drop-in center for homeless yes. youth in the Bronx. And what? Is, so, tell me about that. What is the age requirements? And so, um, you can you, from fourteen to twenty-four, and you can just come in and take a shower, um, eat something. You know, just come in and take a break or you may need additional services. You may need us to find you a shelter or you may need us to help you find a job. Whatever it is, you drop in for any reason. And, you know, eventually we'd love for Hearts to Home to also help us because, again, 
we're helping those youth try to get apartments, to get on their feet. So Carmen McCluskey youth are really lucky with this program because when they get this apartment, they have this. Not every youth in New York City have that luxury. So this is really something powerful for these youth. And, and like Monette said, when she comes back from that experience, when everything's delivered and the youth are like, wow, they sit in their chair and they're like, this is all mine. And they don't have to. Uh, they don't have to pay it back, yeah. other than ensuring one day that they send you a message on Facebook and yes. say thank you. <laughs> this is true. I used to be bad, and I used to run away and do things and curse out and beat up kids and all that. But I turned my life around, yeah. and now I think once I started in college, I stopped because I had to get a job. But then I'm gonna go back to college. I have a goal set. I got I got my GED, so I got some type of education because you know I don't want my kids growing up looking at me like oh my mom dropped out of out of, out of high school, so why did, why I can't drop out of out of high school you know so I got some type of education to show my kids look even though I did bad and I did my wrongs growing up as a teenager I turned my life around look where I'm at to this day and it's you know I just feel like living in New York City especially as a single, as a mom <laughs> with two kids. Yeah. You have enough to worry about. And if Mary and, and her organization and everyone who supports uh, Hearts to Home can take one thing off that checklist, yeah. you know, well, several things off that checklist, <laughs> the couch, pots, you know, it's just one less thing you have to worry about. Yeah. And I think that's really important. So there are some pretty uh, negative statistics related to kids when they age out of foster care. Oh, yeah. Very high rates of homelessness, high rates of incarceration, for parenting uh, youth, very high rates of their children winding up in foster care, so a second generation in foster care. And Hearts to Homes, we did it not to change st these statistics, right? We did it because we just wanted to help someone get their first leg up. But in the end, what we're finding and what we have found um, is that we are changing those statistics. So people haven't become homeless, they haven't been incarcerated, they are still parenting their children. We have helped, so we've helped 29 in total since the program started. Well, you've helped 29 I mean, individual individuals individual. who are foster, but you've also helped their children. Right. Yeah. So you're not, you're not counting the... Right. Yeah. Six, six of the 29 are parenting, and there are a total of eight toddlers mm -hmm. that were helped. Interestingly, of the 29, 20 of the people, 20 of them are women. So women get referred to us more frequently than young men. And there are all, all different reasons why that happens. It, we don't discriminate. We take whoever is referred to us. But what happened, because we, everybody was, people were stable. They were staying stable. And it was, I wouldn't say it was easy for us, but there were so many willing donors. And the housing crisis was such a problem that we had to stop fundraising for Hearts to Homes because there weren't enough young people to help at Cardinal McCluskey. And to Cardinal McCluskey's board's credit, they gave permission for me to take this concept and spin it off as a separate charity, which we did last fall, so that I could offer this assistance to more foster care agencies so we could help more kids. Because just one agency, we were only helping a small portion of the people yeah. who were aging out of foster care in our city. So we expanded then to Catholic Guardian Services. We expanded also to Leakin Watts. And we are about 
sometime in June, we expect to expand to our fourth agency in the city. Our goal someday would be to help every agency, so we help every kid aging out. But um, we have sort of like a sustained, you know, we have a plan for reasonable growth and expansion to different agencies. So we're about to expand to our fourth agency, so we're able to help more kids. To give you an idea, first year that we had Hearts to Homes, we helped about six kids. Since we've spun off our, as our own agency, we've helped 10 kids in six months. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, we're doing this interview now in the beginning of May. By the end of May, we could very well have helped a few more people. So in, um, the, the number of people and the increase in the number of people that we will help has been tremendous because Cardinal McCluskey's board allowed us to spin off uh, as our own, our own independent charity, which is a real credit to them, because we were we were a great program for Cardinal McCluskey, and we were bringing in you know nice donations to Cardinal McCluskey. It's not easy to take a successful program and and let it go so we yeah. can help more people, but it was a real credit to them that they let us do that. And so, what's next? Let's start with you, Shantia. What's next? What do you what do you now you have your apartment, your kids have a place to sleep. What's your plan? What are your plans for the future? I'm going to be like run it. I, I like to talk about my life, so I mean, crying is fine, we're on radio, no one will notice. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like to talk about my, my struggle, because I know there's teenagers out there that I used to do the same thing, and some of them, I talk to them, you know, and it changed their life. Like, some of them come back to me and they say, like, they say, they say thank you, they show their appreciation, you know, if you wasn't that talk, like, all, you, all, all it takes is one talk, you know, that like one conversation, and you can help change somebody's, their whole life around. Like, me, I felt like I didn't have anybody, so I used to run away. Like, nobody cares about me, my mom hates me, I'm just like my parents. But then, you know, I had my dad, I had Christina, I had people to support me, and to really talk to me and be like, like that's when I used to go on weekend trips too, to express how I felt, because I suffered from depression from my father, not being in my, in my life. So, my, my kid is basically going through an impression without my father, their, their father. So, I could, so I could reflect and, you know, show my kids, like, like look, I'm, I grew up perfectly fine. You're going to go through the struggle, but at the end of the day, it's up to you to change your life around. You get two paths. You choose one, and you see which one is good and which one is bad. And, yeah, I'm really thankful that you're stepping up and sharing your story. It's not easy at all. But, you know, if one, you know, if one person in the Bronx hears you, you know, and she's going through something similar, then she can see that, you know, you become a role model. You've become a little wild. So people say I'm strong. Even though I, I cry, I don't like to cry. No, that's that doesn't mean nothing. That doesn't mean you're they not strong. They, they, they say I'm strong. I say thank you. You absolutely are. Yeah, you, you're absolutely strong because, you know, they have the numbers and you have the proof growing up in foster care. You know other kids that grew up there yeah, that did the wrong things that are in jail. Oh, you, have, you, you didn't go through the same thing I went through. You know, people say that sometimes. Oh, how can you reflect what I'm going through right now if you never been through the situation I'm going through? Like, that's why I be talking to them. And I be like, yes, even though certain people that might not go through it, but they will understand probably from other people in their life that they've been around, you know? So maybe people just got to have that faith and probably believe in someone, even if you feel like nobody's there for you at all. Absolutely, yeah. You know, our donors have no idea. I mean, they, they, they really don't, well, they, they don't know the, they, they probably don't understand how impactful their donations are, 
but they also, our donors generally, haven't lived the life that a foster kid has lived. And they don't understand, they, you understand what foster care is intellectually, but you don't understand what it means emotionally. And when we expand it to the other agencies, I would always say, based on the experience we have with McCluskey, it's really important when the delivery happens to have somebody there who can support the recipient emotionally because nobody gets it like the people that they, that they work with while they're, like they're social workers or whatever. No one really gets them the same way and can re- relate to and understand and help them through this process. This emotionally overwhelming process. Yeah, yeah. I suffer through depression. I have all types of depression. Yeah. And like you're 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 pushing through really and you're you're and my kids don't see your kids. Yeah, they don't see that I'm depressed, you know? Because I don't really show I show them that I'm happy. Like look where we at. We got our apartment. If it if it went up to them, I'd probably be homeless in the shelter right now with my children. You know, like the agency really helped youth kids that's really got what they got to do, what they got to do. Like, my well, Miss Shea, Annabelle Shea used to tell me, oh, the kids that don't want to be helped, they don't do anything. Now, the kids that do want to get somewhere in life, they have to, you have to basically not really work for it, you know, not pay for it or anything. But you got to do what you got to do, go to school, work, do something, not just sit around smoking, drinking, partying. That's not going to get you nowhere. Try to escape your problems. Yeah, that's not even if it makes you feel better, it's not going to make them go away. And you know, you're an incredible mom because listen, you know, like you said, some parents would just give up, would just say, "Well, you know, I went through foster care, so they can too." But you're not, you're not letting that be the future for your kids. You're, you're writing a different story for them. And you know, they may, they're just babies now, so they may not understand or appreciate it. But I know when they're older and they're adults, they'll they'll really be able to appreciate that. Like, I hope my my younger sister now. She's 21 with a one year old and a newborn baby. You know, she don't have nobody. But I hope her here and there when I when I have a, I babysit my nephew and niece because I know how it is. How you gonna take them to your sister? She got no education, you know. So I tell her sometimes go to school. I watch them. It's easy. Even welfare, they will, will pay you to babysit your own sister or brother's mother's kids. Yeah. Like, so I was, you know, I try to help her in the best way I can. And I see that it's improving because now she put them in daycare and now she's ready to work. And that's the other impact that we didn't talk about. Visibility of a furnished apartment um, for the family members of the individuals that aged out of foster care. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have things together and your family sees you have it together, then they may say, I can do it too. You know, I can put my kids in daycare, I can go to school. So the impact really does ripple, I feel. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing we've seen when we talk about the statistics. I know you said, Mary Teresa, that um, you didn't do this for the statistics, but it has changed because I see with the drop-in, we don't have as many of the youth that age out of the foster care program coming to the drop-in because now they're homeless because it has had a nice effect and a nice circle because the other youth are like, wow, Shantae got a, oh wow, Dolores got an apartment, wow, I'm going to do that too, oh, I better 
do what I have to do to, to get the apartment and then to keep and to keep it. In the beginning, when we started with Cardinal McCluskey, there wasn't a requirement that it, there was no entry requirement, right? You had to be eight, the minimum of eighteen, mm-hmm. and you have to be aging out of foster care, and that was it. But when we expanded to more agencies, because we knew that we would, you know, there's like a thousand kids in in the New York City, Westchester, and Rockland, which are the areas that we serve. About a thousand kids age out of here, so we that's like we'd have to raise like three million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. So. We weren't going to do that right out of the gate, so we were kind of concerned about um, how we were going to um, vetting process, yeah, yeah, like a vetting process. Exactly. What was the bare minimum that people needed? And they had to be referred by an agency that we were partnering with. They had to be 18 years old, and we decided that they needed to have a high school diploma or GED, bare minimum. And those are the three entry criteria. So it's not very, very, you know, much. But a lot of kids in the situation and a depressing situation don't get their high school diploma or GED. And I think there's like a statistic in New York City, foster youth are 44% less likely to complete high school compared to the general population. Yes. Well, we require a high school diploma or GED. And so we had expanded to another agency and we were helping um, a woman who was parenting herself. And I got a call from the person who was working with her at ACS. And the woman called me and said, I've never heard of you. How have I never heard of you? <laughs> well, you know, we're relatively new. And, and she said, well, you just helped this person who's in my program. And it's parenting, pregnant and parenting uh, program. She said, you just helped someone. Tell me more about this. And I told her about this, the program. She said, this is great. I have all these young ladies in our program. They all need your help. And I said, well, wait a minute. I just want to let you know there are three entry criteria, you know. They have to be 18 and aging out of foster care. They have to have they have to be one of, with one of our agencies that we're partnering with. And they need a high school or high school diploma or GED. And she said, Oh, you know what? As soon as they hear that, now that they know that this other young lady has gotten this help, and they're going to stay yeah. in school or get that GED because they're gonna say, I want that help. If that's what I have to do. She said, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but this may have the impact mm-hmm. of increasing the number of people who stay in school or go and get their GED. And I said, again, not why we did it, but if it motivates somebody to get that extra credential that in New York City you really need, you know, that's a good positive side effect of something that we didn't necessarily do. And it also, again, takes away that feeling of charity, right? You know, my mom used to run a nonprofit and she taught English. And what she would require was, in order to take the free English class, you had to pay $5 for the book. And she noticed that when it was a free class and a free book, many people would skip classes. When it was a free class and you had to pay for the book, people came, they had their homework done, and they would show up more often. Um, So, you know, the city tends to focus a lot on charity and giving things away for free. But I think that, like you said, when you make those, like... This is what we expect of you. If you get your GED, we'll give you a fully furnished apartment when you age out of foster care. So that feeling of like working for it, you know, and then she gets that GED and she knows, or, you know, all right, now I can move into my apartment. I think that it really gives um, individuals that self-esteem. Right, Shantia, have you seen that? Yeah, I got, I was happy, and yeah, really, Helped a lot, like, 
what I was saying for my sister, she it look, like she looks up to me now. Like before, she's be like, I don't care about her, I don't love her, nobody like cares about her. So she fell alone with two two kids, single mother, also. But she sees me doing what I have to do. She sees me getting up every morning, taking my kids to daycare, going to my program to get me a job. Now she want to do it. People look up to people to see for, as a role model, like she was saying. Like, you need people, certain people need a role model in their life to change their life too. Because they feel like they don't, their self-esteem is down, it's too low. Yeah, absolutely. And Monet, what's next for Cardinal Plasky? What's next for the work you're doing? Well, I'm going to continue to help our youth. Um, <laughs> Can these apartments? I don't doubt that. <laughs> um, and, and what's the barrier? Let's talk a little bit about the housing crisis and how there isn't enough apartments in the city. So most of our teens, um, they're approved for studio apartments, which are very hard to come by. So I do have kids who's been on the waiting list three or four years before they get called. Yeah. I also noticed that teen mothers, they get called quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I got my apartment in less than a month, three months. But the individuals that are waiting three or four years, where are they living in the meantime? Um, sometimes we're able to get an extension to policy to um, keep them in care, but there's also guidelines like you have to be working, you have to be in school doing something in order for us to get that extension of policy. Mm-hmm. And then we have some very kind foster parents who's willing to hold on to the kid. Right. But if not, then they're most likely in a homeless shelter. Yes. Couch surfing. Couch surfing. Yeah. And I mean, that goes back to low self-esteem, feelings of worthlessness. Um, and, and by no fault of their own, the housing crisis is caused not by student, by individuals in foster care, it's caused by greedy developers and mismanagement by politicians and, um, you know, the housing crisis is affecting everyone in our community. I don't like the fact that how single mothers or parents can get their apartment quicker because that's me making it seem like for younger adults, like younger children, oh yeah, go go out and have some kids so you can get your apartment faster. That doesn't make any sense. You feel mm-hmm. me? Like everybody should be equally, but the housing critical is just showing everybody the different way, like how to get their apartment faster. Absolutely. But in the wrong way. And that's why our young men are the ones who are mostly sitting on the wait list, and that's why you haven't seen too many of our young men, because they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then while you're homeless, it may lead to incarceration, it may lead to all kinds of negative outcomes that we know that the city says they want to prevent, but then they don't turn around and take care of individuals aging out of foster care properly. Mm -hmm. Um, Desiree, I did want to mention also so the the items on our wish list because I, I do think this is important we have support from vendors who give us discounts so when we give a wish list to a young adult the items that are on that wish list at retail would be $3,300 to furnish a kitchen a living room a bedroom and a bathroom because of the relationships that we have with Bed Bath & Beyond and Bob's Discount Furniture that $3,300, we can buy everything on that list for only $2,800, which is a, a huge savings. And so we're very indebted to Bed Bath & Beyond and Bob's for the assistance that they give us. And, but not every kid needs everything. Mm-hmm. So the average cost for us to furnish an apartment is about $1,800. Oh. 
Um, you know, some kids need everything, some kids need very little. Little. So we kind of try to track what the average cost of furnishing an apartment is so that when we do go to a donor and we say, you know, to furnish a full apartment is $2,800. Someone might say, oh, you know, I can't really donate that much money. We'd say, well, on average, one apartment is about $1,800 because not every kid needs everything. All of a sudden, then people will say, well, you know what? I I can give you one apartment's worth. Or they might say, you know, what would I furnish for $1,000? Well, $1,000 is you would furnish, you would provide living room furniture. If you have $100, that provides the comforter set and pillows for the bed. So at every different level, because of our vendors helping us stretch every dollar, we, you know, we're able to identify things that at every giving level you are providing this item. And if you have $2.29, you can buy measuring spoons. <laughs> no, that feels good. It feels good yeah. to know, um, you know, as a donor or as someone who, I don't donate because I guess I'm a graduate student, <laughs> but as someone who donates my time, it feels good to see that impact, um, yeah. um, to see exactly how you're changing someone's life. And, what, you know, at the bottom of this page here, you have number of hearts to homes recipients with a college degree is three um, out of the 29 you've assisted since March 2016. But what I would love to see is you continue to gather data and check in with people. Um, I'm sure Colonel Methesty already does this, um, but I want to see where these people go. I want to know, you know, how just helping them with their first apartment helps them beat the odds moving forward. Now we, um, you know, we have an alumni group, and you see us part of that now. Yes, we we definitely keep in contact with our alumni and make sure that they're still doing as well as they are when they go into the and then I also see kids like my age, I used to do bad things too, you know, and I sit down and talk to them like, no, that's not good. But it's because sometimes some of them tell me they're they having a bad day, you know? Everybody goes through a bad day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's also, sometimes it's a response, right, mm-hmm. to what they're going through. You know, you have all these emotions, you have all these struggles, and you have no outlet to put it into, yeah. you know? Or nobody to talk to. Yeah, and I know that I know that they appreciate having the chance to talk to you because you're so close to what they're doing. Everybody knows me. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. I absolutely believe that. I've really known you for an hour. Right. <laughs> like you never know what someone's going through. Because Shantia keeps saying that she does suffer from depression, but honestly, she's got the biggest smile, so you could never tell what's behind that smile. I never would have thought that. You know, having met you a couple of times now, I never would have known that until you just said it because you always have a big smile on your face. Because I always got to be happy. Even though, you know, you have your bad days sometimes. But I guess, I don't know, it's like you rub the energy off to somebody else and then that person knows. That's not good. Mm-hmm. I was watching something the other day, uh, television, and Katy Perry was admonishing somebody who was being negative in their words, and she said, words are powerful. Mm-hmm. You know? Positive words, positive words, and it's a positive thing. So I thought that yeah. was it's really true. So how can our listeners plug into all the work that all four of you are doing? Um, what what are the uh, what are the needs, short term, long term for Hearts to Homes? You were mentioning obviously financial contributions helping fund um, the program. Uh, but if people don't have that, are there also volunteer experiences that you have? Um, well, Hearts Homes is an all-volunteer organization, although um, almost all of that volunteer 
work revolves around um, shopping, um, vendor relationships, and donation raising. Because what we don't really want is, and I, I want this to sound the wrong way, but what these kids don't need is another do-gooder <laughs> showing up at their home trying to show them how wonderful they are doing all this good, right? Absolutely. So our items are always delivered to the foster care agency, and the foster care agency is the one that delivers them. We don't, I mean, I've met Shantia now twice, but I have not met any other recipient because that's not my business. I don't need to be this face showing up to do good one day coming into somebody's life and then coming out of somebody's life. That's just, those kids don't need it. The agency doesn't need it. That's that's not what it's about. So um, we are all volunteer. Most of what we do, though, does revolve around just trying to raise awareness of hearts to homes. 40% of our recipients are uh, live in the Bronx. The other four, Another 40% live in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And the remaining 20, they're in Queens, Brooklyn, and Westchester County. That's uh, what Those are our statistics so far. But um, heartstohomes.org is our website, and our homepage has a wonderful four-minute video where you can hear directly from recipients about what it feels like to get um, a delivery of Hearts to Homes household essentials. And it really does, um, it, it, I think it tells a great story. Um, also, the website tells us, tells everybody why we do what we do and how we do what we do. And moaning and <laughs> part of the stuff to be representatives. How, what, what, how do you, can you guys be supported also? We're all doing the work here. Their website is cmcs.org. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and McCluskey yes. isn't just, it's not just foster care. Mm-hmm. That's one area. They also work with um, adults with developmental disabilities. Right. And, and they, early childhood. Early childhood, like mm-hmm. Head Start and all of that. Oh, also. yeah. Um, they helped me with my son. My oldest son is autistic, and they did the test on him. He was a baby, like baby, baby. They, they knew before I knew, but I'm happy that they, they did. Services. Yeah, that they yeah, did know if before I like before it was too late because now Tayshawn talks, mm-hmm. he counts, he sings. No, <laughs> and, and I want to let you know that my fiance Nathaniel has a form of autism, yeah. and um, he works for an art handler, and you he know he's getting married, and, and yeah, you know so. Mm-hmm. And he started talking at four. Everybody was like, he's not going to talk. He's not going to talk. I know. <laughs> I'm just not happy that he talks. He's four years old. Talking. But my youngest son. He talks. He's my youngest son, so he talks. But my oldest son, I thought he wouldn't ever talk. Because everybody used to always say that he's not going to talk. But, you know, as a village, we all put the work in. You know, yeah. you put the work in as a mom. The Cardinal Blessed, he gave you the services. Yes. And, you know, no one, like you said at the beginning, Mary, like, no one should be having to go through this alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want people to know. And that's, you know, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I want to highlight people's stories. Uh, I don't know if you ever got to tell your story, Monet, but, you know, Shantia did. I do. I love yeah. to tell And I want people to hear it because you have an incredible story. You really do, and I really thank you for coming, all of you, you. for coming on and chatting with our listeners. And, yeah, we're going to keep pushing forward, and I hope that, like you said, I hope you continue to run out of foster care uh, individuals to to serve. That's what I hope. I think it would be great if one day New York City took care of every one of its foster care kids when they aged out and sent them on their way with more than just a, a, a cursory goodbye. It's so disappointing with, that it takes 
someone from the outside who's completely unrelated to this work to step in and serve this need when we pay so much in taxes, when these politicians you know, stump around positions like this. There's so many needs. But they're not stepping up and doing the work that you're doing. But, you know, and there's a reason for that, and it's so interesting, and, and this is true, because when you leave foster care, you're off everyone's radar until you come back into the system through use of a shelter or incarceration. through incarceration mm-hmm. or through a second generation coming into right, to foster child. care. Yeah. So when you're off the radar, you're off the radar. It's, it's like going into a black hole. Just no one's paying attention to it until it comes back around again. That's why if this changes those statistics... Because we're paying attention now, we're putting light in that black hole, yeah, and we're we're changing that. If that changes the statistics, people don't need to come back into the system. And then, like, they're spending all this money to open more homeless shelters, and I completely, you know, completely respect our, our homeless individuals in our city. But if we have foster care um, individuals who are aging out of foster care, we put them in an apartment. We furnish it, we make them have pride in that place, and they keep the apartment. They never have to use a shelter, exactly. hopefully. Right. You exactly. know? It's for $800 in keeping, and if that changes and makes people stable, and they never have to come back into the system, I mean, just from a financial yes, perspective, right? Absolutely. that's a tremendous, that's tens of thousands of dollars saved Absolutely. for, on average, $1,800. Absolutely. Not to mention what it does to the emotional and mental yeah. stability yeah. and the human being. I mean, if you're talking financial, let's talk about the human cost. Yes, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. And the societal, the societal benefits and the, yeah. you know, the social benefits of having you be stable and having your children be stable and you never having to interact with the, uh, with the police department or with the shelter system or your children going into foster care. Um, you know. I'd rather see Shantia across the table in a meeting like this <laughs> than hear that Shantia, you know, like... <laughs> Went and left foster care. We never heard from her again, and we really don't so know I what's going on. Yeah, no, I know what I mean. Like, why are you here for? <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to add to the housing. Monet forgot to say that. Okay. <laughs> when, when the foster youth children move into their home, they don't have to pay first month rent, and they don't have to pay security. That's paid already for you. So the only thing you have to pay for is like the next month. But those that first. The first month in that security, that's good. That's a lot. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, I mean, average studio in New York City is about $1,500, and then security deposit would be one and a half times, you know, mm-hmm. person last month's rent. Or So that, you have that, and you have hope and hope, that you save him so much money right there together. And not even saving money. It's money that, you know, honestly, foster, foster individuals who are aging out of foster care don't have to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yes. So where are they going to come up with that money? It's not possible. <laughs> we, we actually helped uh, a young lady, and she had a toddler. And she sat with her worker, and she filled out her list, and we provided all the things. And when they went to do the delivery, they realized that this young lady was sleeping on a pile of blankets on the floor. And so was her baby in an empty apartment, and they were just sleeping like on a pallet on the floor. No bed. And they came home and they called me and said, oh my gosh, she doesn't have a bed. Her baby doesn't have a bed. And she was so grateful for what we were giving that she didn't think to ask for a bed. She asked, she asked for a comforter and sheets in a full size because she knew in her head that was what she was going to work to save money to buy a full size bed. 
So she didn't even think she, to ask for that. It wasn't that she didn't think, she didn't want to ask. She already was getting a lot of help, she felt, and she didn't want to ask. Wow. But when they saw it, they came home and said, can we buy her a bed? And we bought her a bed. Yeah, because of course. this is crazy. How are you right? supposed to go to work? Yes. How are you like, ah. <laughs> and this is, the partnership with the agency is so important too, because like we bought her a bed, the agency bought her child a bed, and and now they have this apartment and they're not sleeping on the floor. I was horrified. It's like horrifying to think that a young mother with a toddler is aged out of foster care and is sleeping on the floor in an empty apartment. I don't know what kind of success that person is supposed to be expected to have. Or how we as a community can sleep at night, honestly. We can't. We can't let this continue to happen. It's, um, it's unacceptable. You know, if, 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 like you said, you know, you act it's like you're furnishing a friend's house, which you are, you know. We're all one community. Like I said, if you're born in the Bronx, you know, it's the Bronx side, you know. <laughs> no, if we're going to have pride in our borough and we're going to, you know, have all these positive outcomes, we need to ensure that everyone's being taken care of. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note that in order to get where our youth are, in order to get to hearts to homes and to their apartments, um, it's really due to also the foster parents that they're with, you know, um, that get them. And you can speak to the relationships and things too. I know we don't have time for that, but I know we're gonna have to do more episodes. <laughs> I think it's problems. you know something else we need is we need foster parents. Oh, absolutely. You yeah, know? yeah, and that's something else that you know really supports. Getting to this point, right? Before, like, I didn't, I didn't have my housing yet, but my old foster mother, well, my last foster mother I used to have, that I used to live with, Miss Robinson, and she didn't have to keep me. Feel me? Because I was already over twenty-one, mm-hmm. so she didn't have to keep me, but she chose to keep me because she see that I needed the help with two kids. Like, I was, I was pregnant with my first son. And she helped me through my pregnancy and so I gave birth and then I moved to my apartment. She even gave me things too to get me started too. Like foster like foster parents are there to help you talk to them. Communication is the key. You don't talk, you can't get nowhere. You can't like she was saying. People sometimes people don't like to ask for too much because they feel like it's too much they asking for. But it's really not. If you really open, have that communication, if you're speaking, they, you know, they could probably say yes or maybe no. It's $1,800. I can't get over that. Like, you know, yeah. my degree is in public administration, so I do policy analysis and all this stuff. And like I said, they'll put literally $4 million towards a new shelter when they could just be caring for the people in another way. Right. And they all started opening up. They started making, saving money for bars and clubs. And like, we have too many of that already. We don't need that. We need more education, books, and computers. And I need you on the city council. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, <laughs> you like to talk, you like to tell people how it's supposed to be, you'd make a great politician. And I know that she's going to show up every day for work and, and, and be there for our people. Yeah. Exactly. Every time they call me, can you, um, can you speak on this thing? Yes, I can. We <laughs> 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 love it. Well, thank you guys again. And we do want to do more episodes with you when you're available. We can do one on foster care. We can do one um, on the early childhood intervention programs. We do. I want to continue to put this work into the light, like you said, and show people the incredible and important work that's happening here in the Bronx. Um, and not just let you guys continue to 
you know, go by with no support, your neighbors and your community, you know. And you